hey, hey, human eyes will not stop until you are pro- you'll pronounce yourself as a rebel. So we are season eighty five. <laughs> Still haven't done. We both gray and old. Guess what's happening? Hello, another episode of Human Eye. <laughs> Courtney, hey, you gonna say it? I lost a friend. Okay. <laughs> Yes, that's it. It. Yeah, exactly. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. A good day, everyone in the humanized world. This is episode eight. Uh, We will be debriefing the amazing episode that we had um, last week with Dr. Melissa Bird, just talking about um, the power of being a true rebel and her definition of that. And um, and how she she is such a huge actor in the um, activism game, and um, I, being who I am, so inspired by her. And Emily was starstruck as well. And so we just sat back and <laughs> let her do her thing, and she she showed up, and it was a phenomenal episode. And I, um, I feel just really blessed to be a part of such a, a rich, amazing conversation. What about you, Em? Oh well, I mean, honestly, I feel like a little. I feel a little messed up right now. (laughs) Like we were just talking about maybe not recording today because I think, well, for anyone who listened to the last episode, it was quite emotional for me. It's my first time crying on air. (laughs) It was definitely overcome. And I feel like, um, I don't know, like this nervousness to even talk about what we're going to talk about today because there's such profound truth to it. And it feels like, I don't know, it almost feels like I need to like go and do a retreat, <laughs> like to sit with all this stuff, which is like so far from what I could possibly do right now. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very strange emotional feeling of like, I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go today. But also today I'm getting my first shot, which is exciting. First Courtney and I have been talking about actually being able to record together in person, which we haven't done since the summer where we hadn't really like hit our stride yet. So we're getting one step closer. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Excited. Uh, How are you feeling? Um, I feel really good. Um, I feel really good overall. I feel really good about this episode. I think everything that's going on in the world right now is such a great place to create the change that you want to see Mm. you know if you look at it as a as a time to be afraid to be upset to be mad it kind of for me it kind of paralyzes me into non-action yeah Um, that's a little bit closer to where i am (laughs) 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 yeah (laughs) that's why i need to hang out with you so that i can (laughs) unstuck myself (laughs) <laughs> uh, this is why I need to hang out with you, so uh, I just won't run myself on E, all uh, with no gas, and just press press brakes sometimes and chill I got the, the hell brakes out. Ready to go? <laughs> Let's think about this yeah, more, Courtney. So. 
Let's let's exactly. sit with this. Let's meditate. Let's ground. Yeah. <laughs> I I I feel really blessed to be living in a time with so much unrest. And when I speak like that, people will probably take it to me like I'm enjoying the trauma that's going on in the world. And mm. that's not the case. It's just that the trauma has been going on long before me. I've just um, been blessed with the vision and the foresight and, and the perspective to feel driven to change what I see and what I know is wrong. And so I'm really excited about that. Okay, so that's like a perfect tee up for our first little excerpt from our conversation with Dr. Melissa Bird. And busyness, by the way, is a cover for trauma. So one thing I'm starting to notice that people are starting to talk about more and more is how we avoid dealing with emotion and trauma and grief by being busy. So And what you're talking about, Emily, is this collective grief that we have brought to the surface that has really been brought to the surface over the last four four to five years, right? Is this idea of collective grief and collective trauma and generational trauma. I mean, I mentioned earlier that about my great-grandmother, my great-great-grandmother, and healing that generational trauma. And and, you know, Courtney, you keep bringing up slavery. Like, there is generational wound healing happening And in the meantime, the natural response as a result of patriarchal oppression is to be busy because the more we perform and the more we perform and the more we perform, the less likely it is that the patriarchy is going to lose its stronghold and we might actually gain equality. Okay. I'm going to ask you like a very direct question here and you can tell me like that is not, (laughs) that is not appropriate. Go back and do your retreat and think about this. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> you know, in the the context that we we're just chatting about before, um, you know, listening to that excerpt, like you definitely are all gas and all go go mm-hmm. go. And mm-hmm. I mean, do you do you feel a resonance with? Like you, you are so busy. Like you are, you're constantly working and so busy. Do you feel like that's a a cover for trauma and inter intergenerational trauma? Is that like what's keeping you in inappropriate? (laughs) (laughs) No, for for our listeners, just you know, it's nine a.m. here in Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I do not think it's a cover a lot of people around me have you know um, Mm. a lot of relationships have been um, affected by the amount of work I feel as though I've done so much during the earlier parts of my life and I did so much inaction and so much negative action that is due this much that I'm doing now it's 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 long overdue also because of my non-diagnosed ADD I think that it's it, it kind of keeps me focused, ironically, because when I know I have a lot to do, I try my best to plan. I I, I work out strategies. I mm-hmm. I I'm, I become more focused when I um, feel as though there's not that much to do. The day is is long, as if we have 28 hours instead of 24. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't do anything for about 20 of those hours, and so I become super lazy. Oh. And 
I think we, when you're distracted by things that are taking your focus from the truth and from reality, then what Dr. Burr was talking about may apply, you know, and I'm still growing in this fight, mm. you know, and so maybe when I'm 50, you know, I, I will be like, damn, slow down so I can mm-hmm. do more, you know, but right now I feel as though it's time to have all gas and align myself with, with individuals that balance that out and bring me back down to, to, to slowing down and taking and pressing the brakes and, and thinking things through further. But in this war, I feel like you need two types of leaders. One that'll run in the fire. Um, no questions asked. will run in front of a bullet. No questions asked. And that person that will analyze everything. And to those individuals like, like you, I would never think that my way is the right way. And actually, a lot of times, you know, I'm apologizing because I've made some mistakes, made some missteps because of my way, you know. Mm. And But um, I just appreciate every type of leadership um, during these times. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's how I feel. Do you see a lot of work in, I mean, this is like a huge community, but let's say in the black community, in the descendants of enslaved Africans community, is there a lot of like trauma healing kind of work like is that like there's just so much there's so much trauma from that legacy and i I can't imagine yeah yeah we don't have the luxury to to take time off or sometimes figure out ways to receive the, the type of treatment for our trauma because we're living through it and it's happening on a daily basis and we're getting re-traumatized with every generation you know, and so I, I feel as though my my mission is is just to play because activism looks a lot different than it did in Martin and Malcolm's day. You know, mm-hmm. um, you had a couple of men out front speaking, traveling the country, doing what they do with social media and everything. I feel like I'm best used when I create options. I think the best way to start to treat the trauma is to give individuals who have received trauma options. To, to educate, to free up the time, because time is the is the main distractor because we always have to, how are we going to eat? How are we going to live? Where are we going to live? How are our parents going to, I mean, our, our kids going to mm. go to school? We have to make the, the, the best out of really, really fucked up situations. And so with that, we don't have the time to really take care of ourselves. And so we just continue to perpetuate and pass down the trauma um, without getting the trauma addressed. It's like mm-hmm. if you had... If you had cancer and you never really treated it and you just put band-aids on it, and if it's hereditary, you just keep passing that cancer down to to your, your kids. But if you have the time to have the surgery to excise that cancer, you really mm-hmm. can have a chance at at when you have a child or when you pass and your DNA won't you won't pass that lethal sequence that, that may kill future generations mm-hmm. um, to come. So it's the same with trauma. Mm. I just think I think of um, you know the this I always talk about them this community of of different black women that I follow on Instagram and just how mm-hmm. there's like this emergence of the importance of self care you know in in doing social justice work yeah. and I'm really yeah happy to see that and impressed by um, the boundaries of like no I'm you know not going to engage with you and 
I'm taking time off and I'm turning off the comments or, you know, whatever that self-care is or like, I'm, I'm going to take a week. And it just seems so incredibly important. And Missy mentioned it too, that importance for self-care in social justice work. And I think that that mm-hmm. seems to be like one of the antidotes for the busyness. Like, cause if you keep going, going, mm-hmm. going, going in, in social justice work, then you're going to burn out and you're going to, yeah. You got to take care of yourself and and I'm try- and I'm trying to get you to get more sleep. <laughs> it's not working. Uh, <laughs> someday, someday. Yeah. <laughs> Can't yeah, sleep. Yeah. Can't sleep. I I'm thinking about this grief question too in reference to the broader <laughs> just such broad strokes. The black community, the white community <laughs> in reference to yeah. the white community, I feel like I feel like there needs to be way more focus on grief. I I hear, you know, still like shame when people start learning about and, and really like looking into white supremacy and white privilege, shame, shame and anger Uh are like the first emotions that come out, I think for a lot of people and it's a block and it, including myself, I think I need to focus more on the grief and the legacy of grief and the legacy of like owning, owning what happened within the, the age of, slavery and i i just kind of like after that conversation had his curiosity around like what does that look like what could Mm -hmm. that look like what could that create because there's so little space for grief but shame and anger are really quick and biting kind of emotions and they perpetuate the ongoing busyness that then prevents us from actually sinking into Mm -hmm. the grief that can then be transformative and Mm-hmm. then creativity can be born out of that, like we talked about on that last episode. People of color always find creative ways to deal with the trauma. You know, when you had the N-word and they were using it as a way to further oppress us, what we do? We made it so that it was camaraderie. Hey, hey what, that's my brother. So now with grief, because we can't control the narrative of grief a lot of times, we say, you know what, grief is for weak people. We don't have time for the grief, you know? And so we, we're always trying to find a way to live for another day and to make sure that we, we make it. I mean, we started doing that possibly from the, um, the transatlantic passage, you know, being on that ship coming over. I feel like there was probably a comedian on the ship mm. making people laugh, learning like, yo, this could be our last time, so we're going to live it up. You know, that's mm. why the most, some of the best comedians – have probably, if you look in their past, they probably have very traumatic lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's like humor is a is is medicine. Fellowship is medicine. Singing mm-hmm. is medicine. You know, mm-hmm. and so kind of distracting ourselves with humor, with music, with fashion, with with, with all of these other things, kind of allows us to live another day. Mm-hmm. It may not always be the best way to handle what we're going through, but it's a way to make sure that we survive to see our sons and daughters tomorrow. And then I like, I I go back to how I feel my, what I have to do in the world is create options where we don't have to deal with our trauma. That way we can just deal with our trauma because we have options and time and finances and, and, and and ways and, and housing. Like we don't have to be distracted by life. And then when we get a break, we just do, negative things when you think about cocaine heroin trying to find our power 
any addictive um, habits. All of these things are distractions and creating a reality because no one would do cocaine or drink a lot of alcohol and do those kind of drugs if it didn't feel good, if it wasn't mm-hmm. an escape. Right. You know, right. and so it's a distraction. And back mm-hmm. to the distractions again, you know, we're distracted. So, like, pain is a good thing because it reminds you, A, that you're alive, and B, that something is wrong. And so, if you can't feel the pain because you're distracted by a substance, that just leads to more pain. That makes the problem worse. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of times, I, I'm like, man, why am I here? Why am I not home? Why am I this? And I'm saying, you know what? This is my pain. This is my time to create the type of business that can change the world. Hmm. You know? And so that's how I feel like we have been robbed of the creative space to really be a part of the conversation in America mm-hmm. through the distractions that have been superimposed on us. It's not by chance that cocaine was ravaged and guns was thrown in communities of color. Right. How with redlining and housing and all of that was that's that's by design. Mm-hmm. We are just the products of that, not an excuse. That are, those are facts. I'm not right. going to make excuse. I'm going to say the fact of the matter is we are a product of our environment. However, now that you see better, it's time for us to do better, mm-hmm. and not to just keep falling back on the old. Um, Condition tendencies and patterns that that have allowed us to survive because now survival is is not is not good enough. We have to thrive now. Mm-hmm. Survival is no longer cool. You know, it's not cool not to be educated. It's not cool not to be able to um, to exist in in a, in a in a liberating and and free, truly free manner. We survive that way. Now it's time for us to thrive because we all know the animals that are created when we when we don't thrive. We our backs are against the wall, and we end up just doing whatever it takes to survive, and and that's just damaging the same community that we live in. Yeah, it feels it feels like the trauma piece is incredibly important. I think it's slowly happening, but people, I I think we all need to get used to hearing that word a lot more. I think that people tend to like roll their eyes when people say, you know, like that's that's traumatizing to hear that racist yeah. remark again, 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 because there's not really like a nuance to that word trauma because like the transatlantic passage was traumatic and microaggressions mm-hmm. are traumatic. They are all mm-hmm. traumatic and they they affect the body in a, uh, you know, they have a very strong effect. And so I think, I hope that, the word trauma is is increasingly accepted as a more day-to-day concept because it's really real. It has such a profound effect on on everyone. Yes. You in the, in the words of Sean Carter, aka Jay-Z, you cannot heal if you do not reveal. There's no way, you know? And when that that hit me in a in a, in a way that it was like, yeah, Jay, you know, you could see that that was that's amazing, you know, mm-hmm. um, to say if we don't take steps to really reveal the trauma and reveal the pain, we can't even start to talk about the healing process. We can't even engage in the healing process. And and I like that. And when, when individuals say, again, racism doesn't exist. Why are you guys always talking about it? You know, it's like you can show someone so many examples of how racism still exists. But until a person is ready to be uncomfortable and say, you know, I am not the total of 
my ancestors. I am not, I could not pick and choose where I come from. Now that's powerful. You know, like we all have things in our past that we're ashamed of. That's just the name. It is what it is. I don't have a past where I can say, you know, everyone in my family were perfect. Oh, are you crazy? No. Right. no. Yeah. You know, like, so when white people say, I'm so ashamed of being, oh, why are you ashamed that your ancestors own slaves? Do you got some slaves in your backyard? That's mm-hmm. another conversation we got to have. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we doing? We need to talk so, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't need you to be like ashamed. I need you to act. Mm-hmm. With the power that you have, let's act. And so, yeah. but that that only comes through revealing the trauma. Mm-hmm. Just going back to Dr. Bird's conversation, I, I'm going to ask you this question. And you tell me if it's inappropriate. Okay. Uh uh. She's scared. She's scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't be scared. <laughs> no, I'm just going to ask you um, simply are you a rebel? <laughs> I mean, that feels like such a big word, right? Like this, like this glorified word. Let's see. How did she define being a rebel? (laughs) Well, her definition of, in her definition, she's a rebel because she elevates the voices of women to elevate everyone. And so with the definition of rebel, because you know what that is, do you feel like you're a rebel in the work that you're doing? I don't know. I mean, it's... it. So how I think of being a rebel is something is someone who's really disruptive, you know, like really willing to disrupt a lot for change. And they, they can also just be disruptive to be disrupted, you know, thinking of like, mm-hmm. I don't know, thinking of like, you know, the guy in the 50s with like the leather jacket and the hair combed back. <laughs> That's what's coming to mind for me. But like James Dean. So... I would say, like, especially with starting to do the work with you and a lot of the stuff that I was processing in the first season with, like, making waves, like, actually taking a stand and making waves, I feel like I'm putting, like, a toe into that, you know? And mm-hmm. the work that I, I do with clients on DEI, I feel like it's, like, a rebel, like, while coddling a bit. Like, so it's not like completely disruptive. I don't know. That's a hard, like, it's not a term that I use very often. So I loved hearing her kind of appropriate it and, and um, own it. And she talks about the ultimate form of rebellion and how that's changed. And can we disrupt with love? Here, let's listen to that clip really quick. I can say this in my middle age, I'm 46. I live in Corvallis, Oregon, like, you know. And let me tell you how my rebellion has changed. And this is what I want people to really understand. Like that rebel girl, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll at the age of 17 is diff. I mean, she's like my foundation. And here's my ultimate task of rebellion for everybody. Can we just disrupt with love? Can we start to disrupt these narratives? This is what I love about the beloved community that John Lewis and Martin Luther King Jr. always talked about, right? Like, can we really start to look at the beloved community for real and start disrupting white supremacy and racism and patriarchy and our own internalized misogyny with with love? If we start to disrupt these structures by having compassion for ourselves and other people, 
it is going to be a game changer. And that to me is truly the ultimate rebellion. I feel like I have some work to get there now. I feel like before I had kids, I was more aligned with that. But now fear is is more of a predominant emotion. Um, it's hard for me to like orient back towards love and compassion when there's like a lot of things to like fear for my kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. That was just like a sloppy thinking out loud kind of answer. No, 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 no. no. That was exactly what we needed. And I get it. If someone was to ask me, am I a rebel? I would say, I don't know. I'm just living a life that I'm passionate about and whatever you want to define that as it is what it is. I mean, people feel uncomfortable. Hopefully change will happen. You may lose some friends. Mm-hmm. Check all boxes, you know, like that's, I've, I've done that. Because when you're you're so passionate about and you believe so much that what you're doing is the only thing you can do. To me, that is a form of rebellion because people love to put people in boxes. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. Why are you doing this? Why are you wearing this? Even I did that. Even in the binary work that I do with sexuality, you know, like I'm unpacking a lot of the the negative things that I've had, to, I've been conditioned to and learned in my past, you know? And so that's rebellious, like to, to mm-hmm. cause culturally, you know, like to speak about like transgender and, and the binary system and queer and this and that, that is not spoken about openly in the culture that I was raised in and the culture that I'm still a part of, I mean, mm-hmm. Caribbean culture, you know? And so I feel like, all I can do is be rebellious and I'm trying to change culture and individuals who made history are all always rebellious. When you think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, we would not even known her if she was just a lawyer from Harvard. Right. Like no one would have known her, but because she was a lawyer first in her class, first woman in her class to do what she did to, to speak about freedom, the way she like courageously and unapologetically, she is now an icon and someone to look up for men and women, you know? And so I, I, I like people like, like Steve Jobs, you know? He did a lot of things that were, were not great, but he's iconic now, mm-hmm. you know? He's, he's immortal through his work. Every day you answer your phone, you have a piece of Steve Jobs in your house, in your home, you know? Like, that's, that's, yeah. that's phenomenal, you know? That's, that's crazy, you know? It's just... If you really want to create that type of change, and everyone doesn't have to do that, but I have to do that because I, I yeah. represent something that is that's needed today to see a man of color pushing education as if it's an album, as if it's music, as, as if it's, it's it's fashion. You know, like knowing that education is like something that I hold closer than money. I need to know. I need to know, like, what about that is, uh, how can that serve me, you know? And so to to do that, like, that's that's powerful. You know, I, I want to be remembered as someone who, who loved unapologetically, who was authentic and who rebelled in such a way that it was infectious and you may not like him, but you had to say, yes, he is going to be, uh, or he was someone that will be remembered for generations. And he pushed the culture, black and white, to do things 
for humanity that that can make it make freedom accessible for all you know so that's that's really how i think i'm a rebel in that aspect you know and maybe god a higher power whatever the case may be found it so that i'm by myself because who knows how i would be if i had to think about two three kids right i mean who knows you know yeah and so like that's what i'm saying so everything happens for a reason and so that's Mm -hmm. why i feel like i'm excited to be living in these days like we said Mm -hmm. earlier in in the episode yeah i guess uh, like in listening to you i um i feel like i will consider myself a rebel at the point where i start losing friends like that that seems to be huge the line of like i'm pushing it enough I'm just so like calculated and intentional and uh, Mm -hmm. conflict avoidant that I don't feel like I can accept the, the crown of being a rebel yet, but I will keep you updated. (laughs) (laughs) But but that said, I don't know who's like, you know, unfriended me along the way. (laughs) No one has spoken out and said, you know, otherwise than trolls that find our work and whatever. Oh no. Who cares? They're probably in Russia. Hey, Hey, (laughs) Humanize will not stop until you are you pronounce yourself as a rebel. So we are season eighty five. Still haven't done. We both gray and old. Guess what's happening? Hello, another episode of Humanize. Courtney, you gonna say it? I lost a friend. Okay. (laughs) Yes, that's it. It. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my god. Exactly. Okay, so I have another quote here or another excerpt that I I feel is super relevant to especially the work that you do with communities. And maybe as you, as we talk about this, you can fill the listeners in a little bit to the work that you do with A2H too. So let's listen to this as Missy was talking about working specifically with people experiencing homelessness. We're making assumptions about what people need so that we can feel like we're busy doing things And we're not actually asking people what they need because Emily, what you're identifying here is that we need a good grieving session. We need to be able to feel all the feels of grief to heal that wounding and then move out into the community and say, okay, what do you need? How can I help you? So I'm curious in the health work that you do, do you And I can kind of reflect on this in international development as well. But like, do you see that? Like people not working through their own intentions of why they're out and working in a community and what kind of impact that has on the actual way that we can support underserved and vulnerable populations. Yeah. With both of our companies, you know, we do not like to make assumptions. We need to know the community that we're going to serve. But since you asked about A2H2, um, with it being a, a healthcare deliverance and a company that increases excess and health literacy, we have to make sure that we know what they need. And by what I like to do is go into the community and embed myself in the community that I hope to serve. Because if you make assumptions, you waste <clears throat> you you run the risk of wasting resources, time. And the work that you have to do is superimposed on them. And you're making very sometimes deadly assumptions that they need what they don't need. And it's a huge waste of time. So it's when you speak, when people say healthcare, they're thinking about doctor, this and that visit. I'm talking about holistically. What do you need? 
to live your best life. You could need socks. A2H2 could go out there and deliver socks so that a community could make sure that their feet are warm in, in, Denver, in Denver nights, you know? Uh, or um, we could be in schools talking with affluent individuals about how healthcare um, and poverty are, are aligned and you can't escape true poverty without healthcare. And maybe that would inspire individuals to get out there and help us or create something to push that for individuals um, in their community. Or we may just actually be in communities of, at risk with the mobile unit and delivering primary care and disease management to individuals with hopes that they can, it's major, but one less thing they have to be distracted with on the road towards freedom. So the many facets that A2H2 does in the realm of healthcare, we're just really trying to change what people see as healthcare. It's not just the service that you get when you're sick with a sinus infection it is the service that you get to live the best life that you can leave for you so you can better serve your community and your family and just those who you love, you know, and just with the knowledge to empower yourself. Um, because freedom is having knowledge and being and living long enough to exercise the knowledge. Um, that's that's freedom to me, you know. And so, yeah, that's what A2H2 is about. I'm wondering Sorry, my, my mind is kind of piecing together different things. You know, we're talking about yeah. grief and we're talking about, like I, I had spoken about like these emotions uh, with a lot of, you know, coming from a white perspective, the emotions of anger and guilt that can come up. And another thing I think we've touched upon, we must have touched upon this before, is white saviorism. And I'm kind of wondering where the trauma and like the acknowledgement of trauma that the white lineage has caused to people of color throughout the world and how maybe you know this like white saviorism might be fueled by that in in some degree you know certainly there's white supremacy embedded in that concept of like i need to save people you know mm -hmm. who are black and brown but also like i just wonder i guess i'm wondering if there's like a part of white saviorism is that busyness too of like i have to be mm -hmm. out there and doing something and i don't know why i'm doing it and so i'm mm -hmm. moving so fast that i'm just going to assume that i know what's going on for people and i am not slowing down to like work through my own thing and my my ego in this and i don't know like i just wonder if there's that yeah, what comes up for me is reform versus abolition and allyship versus accomplice. When you when you're so busy, like you're busy reading the books, you're busy going to conferences, you're busy going to to talks, you're busy doing this, and you haven't done the work yourself. You could be distracting yourself and saying, "I'm doing the work to to unpack my racism," but are you really doing the work that matters on yourself to be a better version of yourself in this fight? You know, and so if you haven't, you just you're working towards reform. If you're working towards a dismantling of a system, any system, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? You said that. Why is this important to dismantle? Not, oh, it's pretty bad, but I'm not doing it. Now you just made it about you. And so when people say white supremacy, the only reason it's white supremacy is because the nature of the system is benefiting white people. It'll been 
black or brown supremacy if black and brown people were benefiting from a system that currently exists. It's not saying white supremacy doesn't say that white people are bad. It's just saying a system exists that if you happen to be a white person living in America, your life, even if you're having a bad life, it will be exponentially worse if you're a person of color. That's because a system has been in place. And so I think the white saviorism comes from individuals who feel like they they are detached from the system because they, with all well intentions, they feel like that's not me. So I'm just going to continue to show the work and save as many black and brown people when it's not even my job to save. I don't, I'm not here to save anyone. I'm here to create options because in certain rooms, I have privilege. And so it's my job to go into that room and use my privilege to elevate the voices, to elevate the, the lives of others. So in certain rooms, though, I don't have privilege. White people have privilege. And so I feel like because of a system that exists, it's your job to elevate my voice. Because by doing that, we both live in a world where we both can thrive. Because believe it or not, if you are the oppressor, you are still being oppressed. That's the nature of oppression. You may be living in a world where you're not getting killed by a slave master, but you being a slave master, like mentally, like there's something in our DNA that says, you know what you're doing wrong? And and things happen to you. So you, your oppression is leading to poor health, poor mental health, family, generational pain. There's certain things that's happening to the oppressor that they don't even know because of the oppression that they're inflicting. So when we like when we align ourselves and we become one with individuals, we start to really be free. Whether you're the oppressor, whether you're you're benefiting from a white supremacy system, if you understand why it's important for you to address that system, you yourself start to create freedom for yourself. So it's never a time where you should be unselfish. You are doing things to make your life better as well. I don't just work, kill myself at what I'm doing because the community is is all I love. Like I love myself and by freeing or working to create options to free others, I'm actually freeing myself. That that's truly like it's it's I'm glad you asked that, man. Like the white supremacist situation is is something that um I, I try to work through a lot and the white saviorism is aligned with that. And um yeah. I'm, wow, that was a great question. Thank you. I'm glad you heard the question in it because I was just kind of fumbling around there for a second. No, I heard No, you. I do it, it kind of echoes back to my rant on another episode about like not calling it being woke, but just being yeah. human for human. white people and how the yes. pain has been passed on of being an oppressor. And I think that pain needs to be dealt with and it's being dealt with mm -hmm. so slowly, you know, so, so slowly, just like thinking about the differences between my dad's generation and my generation and my kids, you know, it needs to move way faster to reunite the oppressor, which we can pretty broadly say white people <laughs> in the U.S., uh, that's historically what we're, we're talking about, with their pain before that person is moving into the community, you know. And I mean, I did the Peace Corps, right? Like, which is, you know, sending 
recent graduates from the U.S. to remote parts of the developing world, what did I bring in? And there was definitely, you know, issues of white saviorism that we, I didn't have that vocabulary back then, but it was something that I almost left the Peace Corps for, uh, the sense for, of other volunteers that are like, we're here to save these people from themselves. Um, they don't know how to live properly. We need to save them from themselves and their, their own culture, that mindset. That's slavery. Is, yeah. They thought they, they thought they were doing people of color a favor. Right, exactly. And so like, you need to be grateful that I'm here, you know, like that, like ungratefulness thing. I think that that, that very notion of like, you should be grateful that I'm here should be a cue to people to slow down and figure mm-hmm. out why you're there and to slow yeah. down and start, like start way back at the beginning, you know, and look mm-hmm. at how did, how did I end up here? Why did I yeah. choose to be in this community? What do I really want to do? And I think that that's what Missy is pointing to is that like, if you go through that process and if you get to a point, you still want to do that work, then it's so easy to say, right. So what do you need? You know, like, mm-hmm. so I, I'm not, my ego isn't here. I'm not invested in like having things look a certain way. Like healthcare doesn't have to mean you're going to annual checkups every year. It could mean you feel like you can get socks if you freaking need socks, you know, that's like it. that's dignity that's of like being mm-hmm. able to have that. That's really important to go through that exercise. Yeah. And I can certainly say that like I, you know, and I did not do that before I went to the Peace Corps. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because you didn't have to. Right. I had this whole system that was like, Mm -hmm. sure, go for it. You know, like the government, like the reason I did the Peace Corps is because the government paid for it. Like I was like, how could I go abroad? I couldn't find any other organization. I didn't want to be with the government going to another country, but every other organization I found I had to pay for it. And I was like, that doesn't really work. Systems, the systems are in place that perpetuate (laughs) white saviorism and and white supremacy. Yeah, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I say it all the time to the students I work with. The system is is brilliant. The system is is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's only going to take a phenomenon, which is you, when I'm talking to students, to change that system so we have to be as brilliant or more than to, to change a system that has been working. It has a track record. It has history. It has history behind it. You know, so what are we going to do to change that? It can't be normal. Can't be normal. It has to be abnormal as fuck to change a system that has generations of, of, of data to prove that, hey, this shit worked. Like, are you going to bet on white supremacy or are you going to bet on this new shit that Courtney talking about? White supremacy will win every time. So you have to be resilient and unapologetic about how you want to push freedom, push for freedom, push for equality and equity, Um, because the track record against it. I mean, it's a no brainer if you're the gambling man, like which one are you going to pick? Let's fall back on the easy shit. Like it's easy. It has history. You're going to buy a car with a a new car with no CarMax sheet or you're going to buy one, a new car with or even a used car with no history behind it. You can buy the one with the good history or you can buy the one with, with no history. Nah, you're not going to take a risk on that, you know? And so it's the same when we're talking about um, DEI work, we're talking about this work. It's like, if you're not willing to take a risk and be resilient and, and fight through um, everything, it's not going to come easy because 
the opposition has had years upon years upon years of of data to show that if left unchecked, it's going to work. It's going to work. And so that's that's how I, that's, that's it, man. Yeah. Well, we got to wrap up here because I got to go get my shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for joining me today. And again, thank you to Dr. Melissa Bird. What an inspiration. I already have friends yes. signing up for her course. We haven't even released the episode yet. See, at this see? point in time. So she is she is something special. I feel so blessed yes. to have this platform to meet people. Dr. Bird, you 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 always you always five dollars. We put you on. We we brought people to your thing. So bless right. us, slaves. Humanize, humanize. <laughs> no, seriously though, but man, she's uh, man, Dr. Bird is, a, is phenomenal. Um and the work that she's doing in the in, in this equality work and his equity work is is great. She's awesome. You know, again, another amazing guest um, that brought their piece of of the walk and what they're doing in the world. And I'm so appreciative that Emily and I can just experience that firsthand with these episodes, man. I feel yeah. I feel so lucky and blessed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, a little quick shout out to listeners. Please, we ask you, if you are enjoying Humanize, please go and share an episode that you particularly liked with someone who haven't hasn't heard of us before and write a review and leave a rating. We want to make sure to keep this momentum going. And so we need support from you to do that. Um, so we really appreciate that in advance. Thank you so right. much. Thank you. Humanize. Let's get it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.